Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Mowen. I'm the senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. And we'd like to welcome you to this hour where we can gather, uh, even virtually, for worship this morning. Um, I would like to welcome you, if this is your first time tuning in with us, uh, welcome you to Church of the Atonement. We are so thankful for you joining in this fellowship to worship the Lord this morning. We would love to know if this is your first time. You can leave us a comment in the Facebook feed, or you can send us an email at info at atonementlife.org. This past week, we sent out a, a very important announcement, a very exciting announcement, that on August 2nd, we plan to regather here at Church of the Atonement for worship. And so in order to accommodate everyone, we will uh, have two services. We had such an, uh, a great number of responses indicating interest in regathering again through our survey. So we will be having two services. Those services will be at 9 o'clock and 1030 on Sunday morning. Hopefully you received an email with all the details about uh, what it will look like as we regather. Uh, if you have not, uh, please make sure you go to our website and click on the tab at the top of our banner that says COVID resources. You can find a copy of the email that went out this last week there, and you can read through all those details. Also, we would encourage you, if you didn't receive that email, to please make sure you are subscribed to our email list. You can subscribe to our email list on our homepage by going down about halfway on our homepage. There's a sign-up sheet to be a part of our, our list of of uh, all the emails that we can send out to keep you informed and up to date with all that's happening in our church. Also, I want to mention that we have a huge need as we regather. We, we know it's going to be important to have some strong leadership helping to assist people into worship, uh, being in the ministries of ushers and greeters. And so we are praying that God would raise up from our congregation some very uh, courageous and careful people to help serve as ushers and greeters, people to open the door and make sure that people are coming in, um, following our, our guidelines, and also help people to their seats and make sure that if we have any need of assistance, we've got that covered. So please consider serving uh, our church as we try to regather and come back together and worship uh, at this place together next week. And if you haven't responded to that call already, uh, I ask it now and ask for you to respond. Again, information on how you can be a part of that team to help us uh, serve the whole body as we regather here can be found in that email and, and should be under the COVID resources as well. With that, uh, I want to transition us to our call to worship this morning. You know, we gather this morning for the very important purpose of glorifying God, of worshiping Him and acknowledging our great need of him and seeking to be near his presence and near his commands and his wisdom, his truth, and his righteousness. And God tells us to gather so that he can pour out his grace into our lives once more. This is a service where we come and we feast upon him and his truth. And we are nourished for this walk of faith that each of us has, and we take this walk together. And it can be really hard to come and to sing God's praises when we are dealing with heavy things. When we're dealing with anxiety and worry and stress, when those things are overwhelming us. And it can be really hard to sing and rejoice whenever we are stricken with grief and sorrow pangs our hearts. And so when we feel this way, 
This is why I love our worship service. We need a word. We need a word from the Lord to call us to remember and respond to him. Not to the situations we're facing, but to him. So maybe you need a word this morning. I offer this word from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, psalmist goes on to say, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We can rest and worship knowing that God is at work and always at work. He is our protector, our shield, our comforter, and our redeemer. And so with the words of Psalm 34, let us echo these in our heart. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Amen. Let us sing our opening hymn, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven.
is our salvation. We come now to confess our transgressions to the Lord, God who sees all, who knows all, and our God who has granted us great salvation. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow this morning before your majesty, holiness, mercy, love, and grace. We bow before the throne of grace today. Father, you designed men and women to love you, to be at peace with you, to walk with you, to talk with you, to worship and adore you. You made us for yourself because you, O oh God, you are the supreme good. You've blessed us with our needs and much, much more. Father, we failed this week. Father, Father, we harbored bitterness this week. We trusted in our stuff this week. We embodied hypocrisy this week. We were self-righteously angry, desiring our plans as priority over yours pandemic our country and the world currently experiences has brought out the dark guests in our souls. Our frustrations have given vent to ungodliness, to selfishness, and faithlessness. This very week we have doubted you, the God who knows all things. Father, weakness Weakness is a constant companion. This morning, Father, we confess our sin. And we confess that the only provision for our brokenness is Jesus. We confess that Jesus Christ is our only hope and our only help. Father, forgive us. Forgive us through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Increase our trust in Jesus this day and indeed all others. Teach us, God, to embrace that life in Christ is the best life and it is the right life over and above what is continuously fed to us day in and day out in our culture. Father, thank you for life in Christ. Thank you for placing us in your magnificent ocean of grace. In Christ's name, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen and amen. God gives sinners pardon for their sin when we confess and when we repent. He gives us assurance that your sins, my sins, they're, they're washed clean. Hear God's pardon this morning from Romans. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, hallelujah, 
we shall be saved by his life. Would you pray with me one more time? Our Father and our God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, O God, that you pour out grace. You shower it down on sinners like us. We thank you, O God, that in Christ we have new life. We thank you, God, that there is light in the darkness. And Father, we thank you now for the provision that you've given to us. We thank you for sustaining Church of the Atonement. And Father, I pray that you would continue to bless. And I pray, God, that you continue to provide for each and every member, not only of this church, but all the churches, God, across this country and the world, that the work of your kingdom might be funded, Lord, with those cattle that you own out on the thousand hills. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue now in worship as our music team leads us in Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd. This is going to likely be a new arrangement for you this morning. This is an arrangement done by the band Shane and Shane. And um, whenever they have done this song live, I've had the privilege of seeing them lead worship in a live setting. And they explained how Psalm 23 is a very common psalm. It's one we hear at funerals. It's one we see on all sorts of artwork and um, coffee, coffee mugs. And um, their point was this, you know, it becomes this psalm that we feel really, you know, it's so common, it might actually lose its power to speak in our lives because we don't pay enough attention to the words. And so they wrote this song in an effort of, you know, if really we agree with the, the end of the psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If those words are true in our lives, then this psalm is incredibly powerful of reminding us no matter what we face, we have an incredible assurance that God is with us. So we hope you're blessed and feel free to sing along as you feel led. shepherd I shall not want. In green pastures he makes me lie down. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his great i 
Okay, this is a rough start. Good morning. You know, I was thinking, um, because it's been so hot in the summertime, when I was a little boy, um, my parents bought a swimming pool. And it was a big swimming pool. And, and it, was, it was not the built-in kind. It was an above ground, but it was a really, really big one. And the thing that was strange about it, I suppose maybe a little strange, is that we only lived 20 minutes from the ocean. And we had a lot of kids. We had six kids at that, at that time when they bought the swimming pool. And years later, I found out the reason that they bought the swimming pool was because of me. Well, that's because I have to tell a little story. See, every time we went to the beach, I would get lost. I, I don't know how I did it. I, I'd, I'd go down to the water maybe, and my mother would be watching us, and I was the fourth one. And so there were two others besides, and later on we had nine kids. I mean, it was a big family. But my mother would be watching, and then she'd take her eyes off me, and I'd be gone. And I, I, I don't know where I went, but I'd look, and all the blankets looked the same. And I'd, I'd wander, and, and I'd be lost. And I'd end up way down the beach at some other lifeguard station, and my mother got really tired of doing this. So finally they decided, we've got to get a swimming pool. And so they did. And then my mother decided that it was time to teach us all to swim. And I remember my mother saying, okay, now I'm going to hold on to you, and you, you know, paddle with your arms and kick with your legs like a lot of you have done. And I remember screaming. And crying because I knew she was going to drop me. And she'd get really upset. She'd say, I'm not going to drop you. I'm not going to drop you. And I would not let her hold me. And so, finally, I had to wear one of these things that some of you might have seen or might have worn. Only mine was big and orange. Um, now, we didn't have floaties and we didn't have noodles. So I had to wear these. And she said, teach yourself. And so that's what I did. My problem was I didn't trust. I didn't trust my mother that she wasn't going to drop me. Now, my mother wasn't going to drop me in the water, but I didn't believe it. I don't know why. I was too afraid. Now, today in the, in the big people's sermon, we're going to talk about faith. Because faith is another word for trust. And 
you know, we normally trust our moms and dads. I hope so. That they're going to take care of us. That they love us. That they're always going to be there. But the Bible tells us that we can trust and we should trust Jesus. That he loves us. That he cares for us. That he gave his life for us. And so I want you to listen to see what you can from the message today. And see what it tells us about the way we need to trust in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you would help us all as we look at this passage today and see what we can learn about trusting in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. And so, I'm going to ask all of us to turn to this morning's passage, which is from John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. It's a small passage that many of us overlook. It's at the very end of John 4, beginning with verse 46. John 46, John 4, 46 to 54. Hear God's word. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The officials said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. I read recently that another contemporary Christian musician is no longer a believer. Uh, John Steingart, a name that maybe you don't recognize, but he's the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, a contemporary Christian band that even I recognize. Um, He joins a lesser-known Hillsong musician and a well-known pastor, at least in this area, he was, Joshua Harris, uh, who wrote the best-selling book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, He's also uh, renounced faith in Jesus, and some of them have renounced faith in God altogether. I don't know the details. I, I know they're not the same, But what's your response when when you hear of these leaders of some sort losing their faith or renouncing it? If you're a skeptic, you might say, well, they finally came to their senses. They're being honest with with themselves. But if you're a Christian like most of you listening, it probably just makes you sad. I know it makes me sad. You might wonder, what went wrong? Or theologically, you might say, that's not supposed to happen. Whatever happened to perseverance of the saints? How can that happen? Many of us have friends or mentors that may even have led us to the faith, and then they went off and lost the faith themselves. It might worry us, and we might even say, what about our own faith? How how can we be sure that our own faith is secure? I'm not going to give you an easy formula. For that, I hope you're not terribly disappointed. 
But this passage is about faith, and it's fascinating the way this happens because the man in this passage actually wrestles with faith in a, in a very interesting way. Now, this passage is the, uh, it's the second miracle in John's gospel, but you'll notice that John uses not the word miracle. He uses the word sign, and there are only seven in John's gospel. And he chooses seven apparently very carefully because near the end of the gospel, he says why he chose the seven. In chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, you don't need to turn, I'll actually read it for you. John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John chose seven, and we know that number is a significant number. In order to show us specifically who Jesus is, and that by reading it, we believe and have life in his name. So his purpose is clear. What are we supposed to learn from this particular passage, for example? Well, what I think we're supposed to learn is the way that Jesus actually draws this man into himself, the way that he draws the man in to faith. He brings the man to saving faith. What can we learn? What can we see and how can we be challenged about where we are in our own faith? Whether you're a skeptic, an unbeliever, or a believer, what do you know about faith? What do you understand rather than, what do you just assume rather than what you know? So let's see what we can learn. There are actually a number of good lessons and I've got four. I've got four things that I see. Sorry, more than three. More than three today. There are four things that I think we should see about faith in this passage. And one is this. Saving faith, and they all begin that way, saving faith is actually need-based. It's based on need. And, and I think it's pretty clear this morning that the royal official, it's not just an official. He's a royal official. That may not be overly significant, but the word actually says royal official, which means he probably works for Herod. And that just tells us that he's, he's a pretty important guy. And, and he's got resources, and his boy's dying. And there's nothing he can do. And you can imagine if you're a parent how helpless that would make you feel. And if you're a good parent, you would do anything to save the life of your little boy or little girl. And he can't do anything. And he, he hears about Jesus, and he comes to Jesus. He's desperate. That's what people do. Desperate people come to Jesus. Even people who don't believe in Jesus, they come to Jesus when they're desperate. That's what people do. And so if there is a terminal illness, if there's a terrible accident, a natural disaster, marriage collapses, a child is lost, maybe emotionally, or they run away, or they're missing, or they're sick, or finances collapse, a job is lost, people cry out to Jesus. That happens. It might be real. It might not be real, but they cry out. You've heard of foxhole faith? The old wartime metaphor. You know, the, the, the earth is just exploding around you. They say there are no foxhole atheists. No atheists in foxholes. Because when life is exploding and falling apart, suddenly people get really religious when life seems to be on the line. That's the beginning of faith. When there's a need. When, when there's a great need. And you look outside yourself and you say, I'm in trouble and I can't meet the needs that I've got. I need help. Well, that's the way faith starts. When you say, I can't do this by myself, that's a good place to be sometimes. Yet it's a stumbling block. 
for a lot of people. Some people can't get there. Some people can't look outside themselves. You see, the average American today, the average European, is a humanist. And the humanist says, I can do it. I'm a good person. All people are basically good. We don't have a sin issue, so we don't need a savior. And so, end of discussion. And if you can't see that, if you can't see that, we have problems, we need help, we are a sinner in need of help to get to God. If you can't see that, then faith is going to be a difficult problem for you. You're not going to get there if you can't see the need. So, saving faith is based on need. That's my first point. My second point. Saving faith is based actually on evidence. It's funny that people don't realize that, but it's quite true. Saving faith is actually based on evidence. This man is desperate, but he's not stupid. Okay, he has heard that Jesus heals. I didn't read those verses, but just prior to that, the reputation of Jesus has followed him back from Judea. Now, I don't know whether the miracle at Cana, the sign at Cana, whether that word got around. It's hard to know how, how public that miracle was. But what he did in Judea, the healings that have happened that John doesn't actually record, they followed him back. So the man is not going just on hopes and dreams. He's heard that Jesus heals. So there is some evidence when he approaches Jesus. He says, oh, Jesus is a healer. I have a need. I will go to Jesus. So it makes sense that he does that. It's not pie in the sky. Christian faith is not the same as believing in the great pumpkin. You know what the great pumpkin is, right? If you're familiar, I, I can't, most, you know, most Americans are familiar with the Great Pumpkin because it's the peanut cartoon where Charles Schultz made this up out of his head. And Linus, every year, waits for the Great Pumpkin to rise out of the most sincere pumpkin patch and bring toys to all the boys and girls, and it's totally made up. No basis for that. But Christianity isn't like that. It's not fabricated. Okay? Scripture tells us what faith is, Yeah? Many of you have the verse memorized from Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen, but that doesn't mean that they're imaginary. We're not talking about unicorns. Okay? Faith is based on the testimony of things because God has revealed himself. He has not been silent. We have the testimony of the way God has spoken to people throughout history. He has spoken through messengers. Sometimes he has spoken audibly. He has spoken, and we have records of these prophets, apostles. He came in the flesh. And so these records we have of the testimony of God speaking, God revealing himself, this is not made up. We have the testimonies. Yeah, but how can you know it's true? How do you know the Holocaust is true? You know people deny it. And you say, that's ridiculous. How can anybody deny the Holocaust? We have records. We have witnesses. Yeah, we, we have records, and we had eyewitnesses of the resurrection. It kind of works that way, too. How do you prove anything? Can you prove that electrons exist? Can you prove that every single time you drop something, it's going to fall to the ground? You can't actually prove things. You have experience. You have assumptions. You say, I think it's going to work this way every time. And we claim that we can prove it. We can't actually prove things. We make assumptions. Your moral convictions. Okay? Where, what are they based on? 
they're based on faith at some level, whether you're Christian or not. I mean, they're, they're based on faith. What, what about, I mean, we live by faith. When you take public transportation, you're, you're living by faith. You get an elevator, you're living by faith. Okay, you go to a restaurant, you're, you're assuming, you're believing that the food's going to be safe when you get married. Uh, there's a lot of faith there. Okay, you, you, you have some evidence, but do you really know that person? Do you really know that it's going to last? There's a lot of faith there. I can't prove that God exists, and you can't prove he doesn't. Okay. When the theist and the atheist both live by faith, I, I live by faith that God exists. The atheist lives by faith that God does not exist, and it's a risky thing. So there are implications for eternity on what we believe about God, but it is by faith because we can't prove it. You can't prove anything. We are living by faith. We do that, but the Christian faith is not invented. It's not without evidence. It's based on a real person. It's based on Jesus Christ. You may choose to reject the premises. Most do, but we don't reject Christianity because there's no facts. There are no evidence. It's not true. So faith is need-based. Faith is based on evidence. It really is. And number three, faith is stretched. Saving faith is actually stretched through challenges. It has to be. In order for saving faith to be genuine, it's going to be stretched through the challenges. And we see that in the passage by this. This has always struck me odd. The man comes to Jesus very sincerely and he says, help me. Okay, my son is sick. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and miracles, you'll never believe. And my first reaction is, wow, that's rude. But Jesus is not a sinner, so I reject that. Okay, I admit my presumption, but it is abrupt. And then I think, Jesus is abrupt some other times too. You know, the Syrophoenician woman whose, whose daughter is, is demon-possessed, and she says, help me, help me, help me. And he says, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. And he's, he's abrupt to his mother. They have no wine. Why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. And the persistence is rewarded. Because Jesus knows what he's doing. He's not really saying, I'm not going to do it. He wants them to persist. He wants the persistence. He knows what he's doing. Jesus doesn't speak idle words. He draws them in. So he speaks with a purpose. Then he says to the man, okay, go home. Go home your son as well. Now, that, the man wasn't expecting that either. The man was expecting him to go home to Capernaum with them. But Jesus says, well, go home. Your son as well. And well, there's another test. Not only are you going to be persistent, man, but now are you going to take me by my word? And the man takes his word. But all he's got is a promise now. Now, how, how would you feel if this great healer simply says, go, it's just as you want? I'd want a written guarantee. I, I wouldn't like that at all. I, I don't think I could handle No, 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 no. You've got to come with me. No, Jesus, no, just go. Just go. He's well. Those must have been the longest 20 miles of his life. Walking home, riding home. I don't know how, I don't know how he traveled. I mean, he's an official. I don't know whether they had a horse or what. I mean, he, he must have been the whole time. I, I think it's true. Like another man, I, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I mean, he, he took him at his word, but it, it couldn't have been solid faith at this point. He must have been scared out of his mind. And we know that because when he gets home, he wants some verification. So we'll, we'll get back to that. 
Sometimes we've got to go through those stretching times. We've got to promise, but then something happens. And then we start saying, is God really good? Is he really with me? Does he really love me? Is he sovereign? Is he in control? And God knows what he's doing. He puts us in these situations because he knows what we need. He knows exactly what he's doing. But we feel like we're in the dark. We feel like, where are you? And God is saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? And he stretches us. And when we say, how are we going to manage? How did God allow this to happen? What am I supposed to do? Where is God? Does he even care? And sometimes, sometimes something happens in our life where our faith gets so shaken where we say, is everything I believed about God even true? Is the scripture true? Which should I adjust? I have my situation, and I have what the Bible says. Now, what am I going to do with that? And some people don't make it. Some people's faith is so shaken. And and I'm not going to say I completely understand that. But the question is, how solid are we at that point? How solid is our faith? Does our faith break, or does it stretch? Faith is worthless if it's not stretched and tried and refined. A few years ago, I I preached a sermon in which I said something I think actually stuck with some of you because I've heard it back from you. And that's where I challenged the statement, the cliche, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's baloney. God always gives us more than we can handle. That's his job. That's what he does. If he didn't give us more than we can handle, right, then we'd always be relying on us, which is ridiculous. But he doesn't give us so much more than we can handle that we fall apart. He gives us more than we can handle so that we rely on him because it's not a matter of what we can do, it's a matter of what he can do. And so he says, rely not on yourself, but rely on me. These times of stretching are absolutely crucial. God sends these times to test to prove, to refine. So, what's been the basis of your faith? Is it secondhand? You grew up in a Christian home. Wonderful. That doesn't make you Christian. You've been baptized. You go to church. That doesn't make you Christian. Has Christianity been a habit, a philosophy, a culture, your ticket to heaven? Does your faith work? Will it hold up? Some people do break. Some people do drift away. What about yours? You see, the experiences that we have, they build up our faith. But this this I need to make a little bit clearer. It isn't actually our faith that's bulking us up. It's our view of our Savior. We see more of him and we say, he is the one I'm depending on. I see more of him. And that's really where our faith is growing. It's our vision of Jesus. We say, I can depend on him. It's not me who is stronger. It's Jesus who is stronger than I realized. That's the growth of our faith. Faith is based on need. Faith is based on evidence. Saving faith must be stretched. And finally, saving faith has got to be personal. Saving faith is personal. And this is key to this passage. And, And it's something I did not see until pretty recently. You see... As the official goes home, his servants meet him some way, halfway, I don't know where. They meet him, and they say, Master, Master, the boy is well, the boy is well. And, you know, you would want to say, oh, praise Jesus, I knew it, I knew it. No, he says, when? He wants to know when. What time did the boy get well? And he gets verification, trust but verify. Was it a coincidence? 
or did Jesus' word actually come through? That's what he wants to know. Okay? Did Jesus do this miracle, or did the boy get well by himself? That's what he's really asking. So, isn't it interesting? You see, it says he believed Jesus' word, but now, when he hears that it was the exact time Jesus spoke, then it says he believed in Jesus. Wow. He believed and his whole family believed. His whole household believed. Did he not believe before? Oh, there's a difference. He took Jesus at his word. Now he believes Jesus is the word. And that, oh, that's a different thing. You see, Jesus speaks the healing into being. You see, what we're supposed to learn from this sign? Jesus is the word. Just like God says, let there be light in Genesis, and there's light. Jesus can say, the boy lives. He doesn't have to go touch him. Jesus' word is enough. Jesus speaks the word of life. Jesus speaks healing. Jesus speaks salvation. Jesus is the word. He takes the word. He takes Jesus as the word. The man believed Jesus. Now he believes in him. Prepositions are powerful. Now he believes in Jesus. Oh, there is a difference. It's one thing to believe that Jesus can do something. It's one thing to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's another thing to stake your life on it. It's another thing to say, I'm going to trust in Jesus. The classic example, one that you've heard before, I don't think I've used it at this church, is Charles Blondin, 19th century acrobat. He was famous for many things, but one of the things he did is he put a typewriter across the Niagara Falls, and he would walk back and forth and do all kinds of antics on it, stilts, ate lunch on this tight walk, you know, did, did a um, uh, wheelbarrow back and forth, and at one point he says, Does that, do, who believes that I could go back and forth and wheelbarrow with a person in here? And they all cheered. Everybody believed he could do it. He says, volunteer, and not one person, not one person would jump in. It's one thing to believe you can, he can do it. It's another thing to be that one. That's trust in Jesus, staking your life on it. Your sins and my sins are many. They offend God, who is holy. And the only possible way of atonement is the provision that God has made, a very generous provision. Jesus, the only Savior of sinners. See, Jesus gave his very lifeblood on the cross to pay the very awful but necessary atonement. That would give us forgiveness of sins and give us the righteousness that Jesus' perfection alone could give us. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ when we believe. That's an amazing thing. We're not just forgiven. We're given the righteousness of God. That's what happens when we believe in him. Believing in Jesus, it's a very powerful thing. And it changes us. It, it brings us to repentance and a life of repentance. It causes us to start loving what God loves. It, 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 it causes us to desire to be holy like he is holy. Our goals, they're meaningless apart from Jesus. Do we lose our identity when we put our trust in Jesus? No, we find it. Because we're made by God to know God. God made us to know him. Ultimately, that is the only thing that will satisfy us. And so we place our faith in Jesus, who is the sure foundation. We all have faith in something. The question is, is your faith 
in the solid rock? Is it in Jesus? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you saw us needy and provided the way. You provided Jesus for us. We thank you, O Lord, for the way that you draw us in. Even though we're frail, we make stupid mistakes. We mess up. And so as we struggle to place our faith in you and consistently to believe your words, to believe what you've done for us, we pray that you would make up the loss, that you would overlook our failings, I pray, Lord, for anyone here that is struggling with what it means to trust in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would bring many to saving faith in the great name of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to pray together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. God, our Father, there is nowhere else for us to turn. Father, these are difficult days. People are out of work. Jobs have evaporated. Sickness is all around. Great storms form out of the ocean and batter the lands. Many, many people struggle this very day wondering what will happen next. Is there meaning to life in the midst of chaos? God, be our refuge and our strength. Today we need help. Father, we cry out to you for divine assistance. We beg you, God, for divine supernatural deliverance. The nations need salvation. Salvation in the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. Salvation, O oh God, as well as in the, the structures of civil life. Father God, we need a great outpouring of Your Holy Spirit. We need righteousness to eclipse the darkness of human wickedness through Your merciful work of saving grace. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. God uttered His voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our 
refuge. Father, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, I lift to you the prayer requests of our people. We pray for Robin Sloan. God, we beg you to give Robin what she so desperately needs first in her soul and then, oh God, for her physical care. We pray for Alan Goldberg. Alleviate his pain, oh God. Alleviate his pain and allow God his surgery to happen soon. For Theodore Lawson, we pray you let this young baby grow in health and strength and soon for him to be able to leave the hospital and be with his family. For Cindy Crump's mother, June, we pray your mercy. Grant her the care she needs and grant strength to Cindy and her family as they care for June. We pray for Carol Lyon. We pray for the heart surgery that she's going to have to be successful. We pray for the hands of the surgeon and all who will take part in this. We pray Carol's healing. We thank you that Ted is at home and do pray, God, that you heal him continually. You bless the fellowship between he and Grace. Grant them strength to persevere in these days. I pray for my Aunt Jeanette who suffered a stroke this very week. I thank you for, for we lovingly call her Net. I thank you for Net, and I beg you, God, allow her to recover. Allow her the medical care she needs. Return our sister, we pray, to us. We ask, God, that you heal Andrea the Robinson's niece. All the transition they've got to go through as a family, God, place your precious hand upon them. Lord, we, we lift up Allison and Ryan and Sue and Susan and Lyndon and Lyle and Ruth and Anita and Graceland and Lisa. We lift up Diane and Tricia and Pamela and Nima and Temi and Elena and Jelaine and Stephanie, as they care for people. Father, we want to reopen next week. And God, we pray for understanding from all of the congregants who choose to come. We pray you bless the worship of your word, the things that we won't be able to do, God. We pray that we would graciously surrender and allow your, your praise still to go up. We come for the word for prayer. Oh, God, in the fellowship, we pray for unity, love, humility, joy, and safety. God, we pray for the youth as they leave tomorrow for their retreat. I pray that you would grant them safety and fellowship and maturity in Christian discipleship. God, I beg you to please provide employment for the masses. You made us to work. May work not be an idol, but God, we need to work. Father, grant wise and righteous leadership to our nation and to other nations, especially, God, where corruption and oppression reign. In every sphere, God, give wise and righteous leadership in homes and communities and cities and states and local, state, and federal governments. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Who has made desolations in the earth? God makes wars cease to the end of the earth. God breaks the bow 
and God cuts the spear in two. God burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. Hallelujah. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be our refuge, O great God, and may we persistently run to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take Him at His word Just to rest upon His promise Just to know the same
Thank you so much for joining us for this hour of worship. We pray that you will continue to dwell on the words that our brother, Dr. David Galetta, shared with us today. What a privilege it is to be reminded of our need of our faith and how we need evidence and how it needs to be personal. Father, we pray that your word would speak to us throughout today and into our week that these words would be written in our heart, that they might be the meditations that we need in the times of joy and in the times of grief, that we might understand our faith needs to be stretched, Lord, so that it can become stronger. We pray against our weakness, Lord, and ask for your protection against those times where we feel we are at our breaking point. Bind us up by looking to Christ, not just trusting his words, but trusting in him. And Father, as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of you, and the fellowship of your spirit be with us now and always. Amen. Amen.